Welcome to Theology on Mission. This is Jeff Holzklein sitting in without Dave Fitch today because Saturday we did a workshop and we actually made the workshop into a special podcast. And so it's our first ever live audience podcast that we recorded. It was at Northern Seminary's Founders Day and the workshop was titled, The Mission of the Local Church is to be local. And so that was our topic is talking about the mission of the local church in front of a bunch of pastors and students um, and other people involved with the life of Northern Seminary. So we left it unedited, just pretty raw. We threw some uh, music on top of it, maybe like normal, but I hope you enjoy it. Sit back and enjoy. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Thank you. We have multiple microphones here, so let us know if you can't hear us. Dave and I regularly do a podcast called Theology on Mission, and we're actually making this into a special episode, if that's okay with you. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, Jim really wants to be in this episode. So... We're going to have question and answers uh, in about, 10, about 20 minutes. And so you all have a chance to influence what a bunch of other people. People want to shout. Do. People want to holler. Say amen. Woo-hoo. Like that. Jim Kent, excellent. We could use that. that. That would improve the spirit of the... Usually Dave and I are just talking to ourselves. Yeah, so usually we're just talking to ourselves. Fantastic. And let us know if you can't hear us. That was my introduction. No, you were supposed to introduce the whole time. Oh, I'm supposed to keep yeah. going? For yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so we're gathering here wondering about the local church. What is God's work in and through the local church? How might God be working in a new way through the local church? Because we still believe in the church. Dave and I are professors, but we're also local church pastors. And, and so the future of the local church for us is to be local. Yeah, isn't that a brilliant statement? It's, the sounds, future of the church, of the local church, is to actually be local. So a lot of times maybe we, the local church is kind of just like a, uh, like a little nameplate we put on like our communities, but really we hope and aspire to do a lot of other things or engage a bunch of other people and places and things like that, which are not necessarily wrong. But we're wondering, have we lost the true calling of what the local church could and should be in uh, bringing God's presence to a world that desperately needs it. And so the local church needs to remember again being local. Yeah. So to start out, the main idea here is uh, the idea of presence, God's presence, and being present to God's presence. Now, right off the bat, uh, you recognize that we're, re- we're, we're emphasizing this word presence and uh, the PR is this alliteration that I'm going to play off of in this whole session. I'm going to give you, uh, in actuality, one, two, three, four, five, six PRs to being present. But first, let's just talk about presence for a minute. The main idea here is, is that God has come to us in Christ to be present to us, that God in Christ, that Jesus, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, presence. And the church is an extension of his presence into the world. 
Is there an amen? Amen. So just to book, just to, to fill that out, I, we we interrupt each other. So the beginning of, of Matthew's gospel, right? You have uh, the angels coming to Math, coming to Joseph, and saying, you know, this is to be Emmanuel, God with us. This is the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And at the end, what do we get? We get the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, baptize, do all these things. And then what's the last sentence that we usually forget? Everyone here. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so at the beginning, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus. At the end, I will be with you always. Unto the end of the earth. Under the completion of the mission. And so presence here is an essential part of the completion of the mission. It's this, um, it's this deeply incarnate idea that God comes to be present. And when Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, and then he breathes upon them the Holy Spirit, um, he is sending them out as an extension of the presence of Jesus Christ into the world. So it's my contention that this theme of presence really uh, drives the whole narrative of, of the Bible. It starts with, really, uh, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve being present with God, God being present with Adam and Eve, and then the fall, and then uh, God saying, Adam, why are you hiding from me? Why has my presence been broken. It goes all the way through the founding of the nation of Israel. And if you remember in Exodus, Exodus 33, uh, Moses is up there at the, after the golden calf incident and fiasco. He's up there arguing. With, I guess you could say he's arguing with God. We have to be a lot more careful when we're actually... Uh, this podcast has to be a little bit more careful. <laughs> there's people looking at us. When we there's have to a watch bunch of theologians words. and trustees and other very, very important people in the room. Anyways, um, and, and, uh, and Moses says, and, and so God says, uh, I shall take my presence from you. And Moses says, there's no reason for us to go on apart from your presence. Remember that? And so the tabernacle is the, uh, what, the symbol of God's presence with the nation of Israel through the wilderness. The temple becomes the symbol of God's presence till the point when Jesus, the Son incarnate, becomes God with us. And, of course, this extends his presence into the world through the church until the time in Revelation when in, in Revelation chapter 20 there, there shall be no more temple because God dwells with us once again uh, and entirely. So the presence of God is very important. Now, the church is the body of Christ, the enfleshment of Christ in the world. Now, by that, it is more than just uh, Christ's hands and feet in the world, like we like to say. It's actually Christ himself extended his presence, extended into the world. So I like to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul is at, I don't know if you remember 1 Corinthians 3, where he's having various... Uh, Arguments about what is the foundation of the church, Apollos, and all. Is it what is it? Apollos, Cephas, Cephas. Yeah, you got to help me when my mind goes blank. (laughs) You got to help me. Okay, and uh, but but Paul says, uh, in the midst of this discussion, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? He's present with you. This is the core of what it means to be 
the church. And so um, if we are going to now talk about uh, how to engage the world, how to uh, bring mission, bring God's mission uh, and participate in the world, how to evangelize the world, how to bring the gospel to the world, this is where I think we start, by being present, bringing God's presence in Christ into the world. That's the thesis of this entire podcast, the thesis of this entire, um, what are we calling it, workshop. And the idea for us isn't that this is a new work in Jesus Christ that then gives, that is given to the church, but rather it's been God's work all along. So in uh, Genesis, God was with his people, with Israel. We get this grand story of the Exodus, and we often just read the first half of the, of the book of Exodus because that has all the action in it, right? You have the crying out of God's people and Moses, and you have all the deliverances and all these things, and then the, the Red Sea, and then you get the, the uh, Israelites grumbling, and then you finally get to Mount Sinai in 19, and all these wonderful things are happening, and there's fire, and everyone's afraid, and then there's the covenant, and these are all good things, but then we often stop reading the book of Exodus at that point because the action's over. And then you get a whole bunch of chapters where it describes uh, how they should build the tabernacle. And then you get a whole bunch more chapters about how they built the tabernacle exactly like they were supposed to. But really, the idea, the last half of the book of Exodus is where God says, I will be with you. The whole point of delivering you is so that there could be a people in the world that I could be with, and then later that it would expand to be God's presence would be with all people. And so this isn't just something where Jesus comes and dwells with us, and then the church kind of picks up the mantle. It's been part of God's work all, all along. Yes. And so, by the way, um, uh, shameless plug, uh, I have a book coming out <laughs> in the spring with uh, InterVarsity called Faithful Presence, which uh, kind of explores this whole idea and how the church actually practices being present in the neighborhood. But now... Um, Coming out, University Press, 2015. 2016, <laughs> spring or summer. Um, so we've gotten into a lot of, uh, did somebody say amen? <laughs> All right. We've got a lot of, we've got to work on the timing of the amen a little bit. It's a little off. <laughs> so we've got, um, which is our mic here, by the way? This one or that one? We're good. Okay, we're good. Everybody can hear us, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, we're good. Uh, Jim, 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 what's going on? <laughs> Folks, this is what it's like to be in a live workshop at, at Northern That's Seminary right. in the Linder Conference Center. All right, I, did, we I, invite you I to lost come. the thread. Where are you at? Okay, here's where we're at. Okay. We have gotten into a lot of bad habits yes. in Christ, Christianity, the church in general, because we've been in power, let's face it, for years we could assume at least the majority of people in the neighborhood were Christians. And so we got into some bad, what I'll call Christendom habits, where we got into the mode of programming Christ's presence. Programming it. Making it accessible. That's another PR word. We just threw in another PR word. This is his genius right and, here. Um, so uh, public relations 101, another PR word. Uh, okay, I can see it's wearing thin and amongst friends here gathered. But um, so what we have tended to do is package and create programs to gather people into prescribed moments of his presence. And this has taken us out of the neighborhood and taken the presence inside, the presence of Christ into the church 
The question is, how do we become present to Christ's presence outside the church and bring the gospel into those spaces? So that's where we go now. And so I've, I've crafted six PRs. The first one, not programs, but presence. Not programs, but presence. So the first, first, the first um, idea here is is that instead of building a theater where we put on a show, we build a, you know build programs to meet people's needs and ask people to come to us to find God. Let us go out and be among people and be present to God's work in people's lives. If you're a Wesleyan like me, you believe in prevenient grace. That's another PR. Prevenient <laughs> grace. God is at work in people before we even get there. And we must become present to what he is doing in people's lives. His presence is there. It's just that there aren't any witnesses to say, hey, I think what's going on here in your life is of God. Maybe we should pay attention to it. That's what it means to be a witness. And so um, it was really once, um, you know, Constantine and the church got aligned and everybody became Christians, it wasn't so important for us to maybe pay attention to the presence of Christ in the neighborhood. Uh, so we were able to program church and make church a sustainable kind of reinforcing activity for already existing Christians. But now that the world is kind of in a post-Christendom place in many parts of the United States and Canada. We now need to extend its presence into the neighborhood, not programs. Let's be present to people in the neighborhood. Second, do you have a comment on that? Yeah, but that I do. So uh, a lot of times when, and we've even stumbled upon this a little bit in our churches, is when we say not focusing on programs, we're not saying be disorganized. And we're not saying don't have an intention in your ministry. So we still need to be organized and we still need to have focused directions in our ministries. But we need to, not, we need to understand that just having certain programs won't, won't do all the work. And that oftentimes they can create distance from the communities we're in rather than bringing us into the communities that we're hoping to serve. And so don't hear us say that we want disorganized churches that just kind of, you know, just live without any kind of direction, but yeah. rather we want like a focused, intentional presence in the neighborhoods. Does that make sense? For, uh, and, and I might add, one of the best ways, since we're talking about organizing, being present in the neighborhoods, is gatherings around tables. And of course, one of them being a Friday night table, or whenever the night might be, table in my home, where I meet regularly with Christians, pray and engage our lives together under the Lordship of Christ, and then pay attention to what God's doing on our block and on our neighborhood uh, and pray for them too. And by the way, then they will start coming and wanting to be around our table. I think this gets off the topic of today a little bit, but I think the practice of the table is extremely important for the church to recover in the neighborhoods and, of course, when we gather on Sunday morning. The second uh, PR is not projects but presence. Often what we will do is try to find, and this may be somewhat controversial, but we try to find a hurting place in the neighborhood, a justice need, and go there and meet that need. And I call that making 
justice into a project. And so what often happens is we actually become distanced from the people who are in need and no longer in relation to them, and they turn into a project. Um, as opposed to that, let us go be present with the poor and the hurting. Let us go spend regular times with them. This is the idea behind Matthew 25 when, when uh, Jesus was talking about the righteous and the unrighteous and those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. And the ones who were in the kingdom did not even realize that Je He said, when you were in the prisons, when you were in the hospitals visiting the sick, when you were with the hurting and the poor, that was me you were with. I was present there. And they're going, really? We didn't notice that. When did that happen? And that's because it was part of their everyday life. Don't make the poor into a project. Be with the poor. And out of that, a space will emerge for God to work healing, redemption, reconciliation, renewal, and the gospel in people's lives through those relationships. And out of that might come a more significant engagement uh, socially, uh, politically, uh, through government means, or what have you. So that's my second comment. Do you have any comment on that? <clears throat> well, I think... The, the programs on the one hand and projects, th th those often can be two different kinds of churches. So some churches have the programs that draw people in, and so they have the, they're kind of structured around the things that they do to help people come in and their, their programs. I think other churches are very outward focused, and they have a bunch of different projects to try to get into the neighborhood. But as you were saying, both of those can sometimes not actually get you into the neighborhood as much as you might hope right and so and if you're focusing it's it's almost like focusing on projects rather than the people and not listening to the neighborhoods now right. again that doesn't mean that there's no organization going on but it just means what is the focus and the emphasis and so uh does anybody have a sense of like churches that they've been in and around that maybe is focused on one or the other maybe lacking balance or lacking some sort of presence anybody want to give a little shout or some head nods or? Yes. Okay, so we'll go uh, amen. We got an amen. All right, good. We'll, we'll go through this a little more quickly, and then we'll take a whole okay, bunch good. of questions. Uh, so not programs, presence, not projects, presence, not production, but presence. So, so often we want to produce a worship experience and um, hype up the, uh, a worship gathering to produce certain experiences. I suggest today we need to focus on encountering the living presence of Christ at our gatherings and that uh, sometimes we can overproduce worship so that the presence of Christ cannot uh, be encountered. One of the things we might consider is how silence before God prepares us for his presence, how the table of our Lord, if we can submit ourselves to it as a practice, encounters the living presence of Christ, but too often we are too busy, slick, making our worship gathering slick, and we forget about the fact that here we are gathered to encounter the presence, and by the practice of encountering the living presence of Christ in the proclaimed word and the table, that will shape our lives to recognize him in the neighborhoods and in the world. So not production, but presence. Comments? Uh, I would just say party. Our worship services should be more like a party than a production, like a fan. Okay, like that wasn't a, exactly what I was thinking. No, but no, go no. ahead with that. Well, but it, so it's a question <laughs> of hospitality. It's a question of authenticity, and I think we can. 
and and every church does it differently, and church traditions can do it differently. So it's hard to be you know generalizations, but we can tend toward what I would call like formal productions in our worship services. Like it's very structured. It has these you know things. So are you saying that the spirit flow? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm saying that. But on the, on the other side, I say, can they be more like family parties? Right, so if you have a big family party, Easter, Thanksgiving, like there's a certain organization that goes into that, and there's also a certain, um, you know, direction or maybe or like especially if you have like a you know you have a family reunion and you have these talent shows with you know, like so there's an intention that goes into having a party and organization, but there's there's a certain flow and spontaneity too, and so can we, can we have the sense of not having a production but a, more of a family party where we're we're celebrating, right? Go figure. We're yeah. celebrating God's work and his, his life within us. And so so those are, that's kind of the way I kind of think about it. Not right. so much a production, but more of a family party. Uh, people might not know that you and I planted a church together, Life on the Vine Christian Community in the Northwest suburbs. And we used to have discussions like this all the time. Yeah, just welcome to our pastoral meetings. Cheers. Just... Cheers to the good times. Okay, number four. So not programs, not projects, not production. This is where it gets a little iffy. He was kind of pushing his paradigm here. No, no, no this yeah. all fit together These last perfectly. two are a little iffy. Okay. Not proposals. Okay, what do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes we want to enter into politics, justice issues, by means of going into the halls of power, whether it be the alderman's office or the city hall or the governor's office or who knows, the president's office, and we want to... Uh, exert uh, influence and what I want to suggest is that uh, that's maybe not the way God works. God works by entering on the ground floor and being with the poor and the hurting and seeing things work and then from this after people see because we're living in a day and age when people do not trust the church. So if I go into Rahm Emanuel's office and say hey my church on 55th and Cass is, does not like, no, that, I wouldn't do that. That wouldn't actually be Christian. Uh, we propose you don't do this, but we do this and this. I contend to you that we have to make bargains with, with power. But if we go and we say, here's what we've seen happen in our school district. Here's what we saw happen here. We believe God's calling us to spread this good thing that's happening to the city. We'd like to make this proposal. So um, in a way, I'm saying not proposals first, proposals second, after we engage and listen to the neighborhoods and see what God is doing there. And out of that, go make proposals into government. So that's so right. That, I guess, proposal thing is a little confusing, but it helps you organize things, PRs. OK, do you have anything to say on that? That's uh, uh, Point I, I just the observation that Jesus didn't make proposals to people in power. Uh, he just lived a different way and gathered people. And subverted and power. Sub, he subverted power through it. And, and this then, is what we must do often yeah. in the church, subvert the powers. All right, now here, all right, here's the reach. You're reaching on this the This is not one. a reach. I go propaganda, not propaganda. <laughs> okay, and what I'm, at, what I'm getting at here is I fear we turn the gospel into a ready-made, prepackaged solution that's very sellable that'll get people in the door. And I don't believe that's what the gospel is. I believe the gospel is that, G that God has answered his promise to the nation of Israel to make the world right. And he's begun that promise in Jesus Christ. And he's Lord of the world. 
and he's, and he's leading the world to a conclusion. And that conclusion is all things in Christ. Now, admittedly, that was not a, uh, a very succinct way to define the gospel, right? I mean, actually, it's going to take a lot of explanation. But I fear what we do is we turn the gospel into a ready-made packaged before we listen to what's going on. So Luke 10 actually says, go. He sends the disciples out. He says, go and be at somebody's table and eat with them and eat what's set before you. And don't bring, don't bring your money. Don't bring your purse. And listen. And um, be like sheeps. Be like a sheep. Uh, the sheep wolves thing. Be like sheep set among wolves. Sheep set among. So there's this humble, vulnerable presence there. And out of that, and only after that, after reading through what's going on, does he say, proclaim the kingdom of God is nigh upon you. We need to listen, and we need to understand what's going on in people's lives. And then we need to listen to the Spirit and say, I, I believe Jesus is Lord of your life. I believe he's working in this thing. I invite you to make him Lord of your life, and that he's going to use this thing in your life for, to make the world right, not only in your life, but all those around you and into the world. That's what I believe the gospel is. But too often we go in with a prepackaged gospel that's more like propaganda. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, Paul said, we are not peddlers. We live with our lives, the fragrance, the aroma of the gospel. Uh, we don't peddle the gospel. And I believe that's important. I think uh, Luke 10 might be a really good example of the local church being local. It's they're going into a village. They're uh, not bringing a whole bunch of resources, not bringing a big program, not even, a, uh, what are these other ones you got here? Projects to save the village. They're coming in. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're laying hands on people. And they're actually receiving assistance from the people there. I think uh, I found that the best almost evangelism plan that I have is to ask my neighbors for help. Now, a lot of times we want our neighbors to ask us for help, right? Oh, I'll help. You know, when we come to someone, this is oh, so I'll, true. I'll help you with something. And then what happens? Oh, people don't, oh, oh I, I don't need your help. I don't need help, right? We're all so self-sufficient. But when you kind of open yourself up and be like, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? Or my, uh, you know, I don't have the right ratchet set to fix my, you know, this thing in my house. Can I borrow your tools? Everyone wants to help, right? So you open the door by making yourself a uh, helping them serve you. And I think in Luke 10, we get this example, like go, go into a village, stay in someone's house, let them feed you, let them take care of you. And that's a totally different posture than I think that we often don't have sometimes as churches and denominations where we're going in to fix things and we're going in to do things. And it's like, hey, let's just be, let's just, let's just enter in and step in. So now we're, we're I, you just said another PR word, which oh, no. I'm now going to add on to the PR word. You said proclamation. <laughs> this is so important, proclaiming the gospel. Uh, I urge everyone who hasn't already read it to read my colleague's book, King Jesus Gospel. That's Scott McKnight, by the way. Uh, where we understand the gospel is so much more than uh, the forgiveness of our sins through a substitutionary act of God in Christ. Not to say that it's not that. But we live in a world that is... Uh, uh, fraught with all these unreconciled, broken conflicts in our lives, brokenness in many ways in our lives, and and uh, caught in systems of violence and, and, and injustice. And the gospel then becomes Jesus is Lord. Can we 
submit to him as Lord and be faithful to him as Lord and work for uh, alongside in his power and in his the work of the Holy Spirit, not my own, for the making of all things right in Jesus Christ. So that's the gospel, and we need to learn again how to proclaim the gospel, and that's why I recommend everybody take at least one course at, at Northern Seminary by Scott McKnight. All right, do your last uh, PR. That was a good one. <laughs> the last PR was a good My one. The last PR and is then we'll, prayer. And then we'll open ourselves up to, to uh, and the I, group. By the way, I just want to make this point about prayer. Uh, a lot of times we make prayer all about me. Well, it takes a... Maybe you do. <clears throat> just say What's that supposed to be? <laughs> I'm just saying I'm sure not everyone fits that. Give the guy a microphone and look what happens. <laughs> Anyways, um, um, prayer. Uh, so Jesus teaches us how to pray. I mean, I think we all ought to, we, we do and, and we ought to emulate the Lord's Prayer, which, which starts out, our Father who art in heaven, the seat of authority, holy is your name, hallowed is your name, perfect is your name. You are in control of the whole world. I submit to you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now notice it's an R, O-U-R. It's a corporate prayer. It's about thy kingdom coming into this place. We need to pray in the neighborhoods for places of hurt, of violence, of brokenness, of unreconciliation. We need to gather and pray and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is the way we open up space for the kingdom of God to begin and work in our lives, in our church's lives, and in our neighborhood's lives. We need to take prayer out of the Wednesday night prayer meeting and onto the streets. So that's the last PR, prayer. Um, so anyways, one quick uh, review, not programs, presence. Not projects, presence. Not production, presence. Not proposals, presence. Not propaganda, presence. Proclaiming the gospel, presence. Out of presence and prayer. All right. Six P, uh, seven PRs for good church PR. Man, Ooh. this is a, this is we're such terrible. Sorry, <laughs> Josiah loves it. He loves it back there. So are you giving us a ten? So minute? we're gonna. That wasn't a raise the roof there. Oh, I thought that was like all oh, the glory. I thought you okay. were going praise the Lord. <laughs> He's giving us ten minutes. I got it. All right, so we have ten minutes for questions. So please, we we take questions, concerns, or scathing criticisms. It's all, it's all acceptable. We're used to scathing and, criticisms. Yes. Okay. So. <clears throat> We're going, we got a couple here in the front. Could you say your name? Yeah, Eric. Eric, great. So uh, traditionally, we've been doing a lot of the nuts, and this is calling for a paradigm shift to be more missional, uh, uh, of which I'm totally supportive. But I wonder if um, it requires um, a balance, a little of each. For example, doesn't one need some programs for equipping of the mm. saints to go out to do all the things that you've been uh, saying we should do um, some um, programs maybe for inspiration and motivation to initiate uh, the missional dimension. So we need, you're going to look at me, huh? Okay, great. Yeah, so the question is, is balance, right? Uh, I think that's, I think that's important. Yeah, well, I, I remember uh, in the early days of life on the vine, I used to go uh, organic. No, everyone wanted to organize. 
And I was the one saying, no, 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 let's not organize this uh, organic. Let's just let it take shape and power it and so forth. And, and over the years, I think I learned we needed organization. But let's not, uh, it becomes very um, dangerous because we all know how organization works and how it can take over and lose the purpose of what the organization was for. And um, I think, uh, so yeah, you're right. I, I probably do go for the, <laughs> okay, let's break this mess up. Let's throw a grenade in the room. Let's blow it up and let's start all over again. No, let's not. Um, and, and this is the wisdom of the man to my right, uh, that sh for sure we're going to need to organize. But I fear that, um, I fear that uh, the existing forms of organization take, need some correction and probably need a significant reexamination of what we're doing here and why. And I think that's what we're trying, that's what we're aiming at. But good question, Eric, thank you. I think uh, having programs for the sake of presence, you know, projects for the sake of, like, you know, it's a matter of emphasis and trying to get our, our focus back on mission in the neighborhoods. Um, and then you kind of re reintroduce some of these things afterwards. Whereas I think for a lot of some of the, the churches we're in and around, we now have programs for program sake. We, we just got to keep that going. We, we've been doing it for 20 years. We're not going to stop, right? And, you yeah. know, so, and so, so at some point, you know, it's a self-fulfilling kind of thing. And so can we shift and like reorient around the presence again and then let the projects and other things flow in and out of that? Yeah, and, and so uh, just a inside story. Uh, Short, I, though. I we got to get to the question. Five, five, six years into Life on the Vine, our service, I felt, was getting a little too attractional. I mean, we were doing uh, some liturgical things in our church, which were becoming accessible, and it was I was fearing it was becoming the new cool thing, and we were having crowds, a lot of, uh, in our little gathering space, uh, and we didn't know half the people, and so I said to you, let's just blow this thing up. Let's, what was the... Uh, shutter down. The shutter down hypothesis. We can do everything we do on Sunday morning in the homes just so we know who's in and who's out. Let's shut it down one Sunday a month and go to the homes as a means to kind of disrupt what, what was happening uh, in terms of the organization of our service. That's my approach. Of course, no one ever uh, would, <laughs> no one would ever do that. They were too afraid of the offerings. Oh, well, the offerings please. will go down. We, no one ever. No, said the that. offerings will go up. <laughs> Anyways, we, we had a question here. Yeah, next. more questions. And then, questions. And then wondering how often do you reach out beyond your congregation to say that I am including the, the community to be in this local church and have people in your congregation that don't look like you? Don't look like us. Well, this is the big struggle, right? Especially if you live in a place that is, is uh, monolithic in, in its population. Um, but uh, you, wanna, you want me to ask personally about our struggles in that, uh, our local church that I'm in? Right. Okay. All right. I can I can give you one little um, slice of of the way I would approach this issue. And now I think we're talking about how to engage people who are not like us. Okay. So at our little church in uh, Peace of Christ Church in Westmont, uh, we started by sending 20 people from the church that Jeff is now at, and so I'm at the the church plant from Life on the Vine, and we we have. 
we have racial issues in our down in our town. Um, we have uh, black families who will not associate with white families on our block because of some episodes at a white church nearby where they were at and worked at. We have uh, some serious issues having to do with relationships uh, between uh, uh, men and women that uh, I can't explain, but uh, here, especially here uh, on tape, uh, all that was going on there, but there was uh, accusing one person, accusing the other person, uh, warrant for arrest here, et cetera, et cetera. So we have, we have racial strife in our community. We have police problems in our community. We have Latin, Latino families that are regularly uh, tormented because they have three cars in, in their driveway and they go over the sidewalk and that's a, an ordinance made for white people who only have two cars, and et cetera. We have all these problems. And, um, and so there's a lack of reconciliation in our community. I believe our task, now, so here's what I did being the white man in the room. Let's call everybody together and have a meeting. <laughs> Gene, Gene says to me, Dave, you're doing your white man thing here. What we need to do is be present and get to know our neighbors first. And then enter into the conversation on their terms. So. Fortunately, I have a very friendly wife who gets to know all the neighbors, and, and we, we've been to block parties, and we've been to uh, homes of, of Latin families, black families, and we're slowly, slowly getting uh, relationships to make such a meeting possible in a neighborhood. I think the second approach is the way God would have us engage, not the first. Yeah. I think we have time for one more question. Corey. So I really like what you're saying, and a few episodes back on the podcast, because I'm one of the six people who listens to it, like you guys said. All right. <laughs> All right. So talk, I, really I think I promised a prize to someone who listened that would come. So. You, you talked about finding entry points for the gospel and seeing people as people rather than sort of just, you know, going in with your four spiritual laws or whatever it may be. And I really like that. Um, but the past couple of years, I've been trying to do that. I didn't quite have this terminology or framework to put to it, but I've been trying to practice presence with people in my church, outside of the church, people who grew up in the church with me who are no, you know, not walked away from the faith. And the problem is that when I do find those entry points and we do finally get to a conversation where I see an entry point for the gospel, I find myself going right back into that propaganda, programmatic, like, oh, the, the Christian thing's coming up now. So now that all that, um, that programmed language about how to evangelize people or how to deal with their sin issue, yes. you just find yourself on this well-worn path of going down the same conversation mm. that made them leave church. Yes. What are some tips to get outside of that and to actually, once you get to the gospel, once you get through that entry point, to not yeah. go down that problematic Yeah, and we're almost out of time, right? we got two minutes, Josiah. Yeah, uh, the question is, how do you get off the uh, bad habits of, uh, for lack of a better term, the four spiritual laws and kicking into a propaganda speech on someone that you're getting to know? Look, Corey, all I can tell you is that you must, like, like, this is why I think theology is so important. This is why I think Northern Seminary is so important. I'm almost going now into my pitch mode, but I'm really not. That's uh, this, all right. Go This for is it. why I think this place is so important. <laughs> Propaganda mode? I'm going. <laughs> That's a good one. If you, if, you, if you study the gospel long enough, hard enough, and see it as it is, 
you'll never be able to go to that canned speech again. You will proclaim Jesus as Lord over people's lives, and you'll invite them into this space. So uh, the answer to your question is, stay at Northern Seminary and study <laughs> and understand the gospel. I really believe that's the answer. And I would just add that I think, you know, and I don't think this is, you know, uh, something that only you struggle with. We all struggle with a lack of imagination for other ways of doing things. And when we get into crises, when we don't know what to do, we just go into what we've always done. And so we all need to, whether it's in one area or another, we need to be praying. We need to be asking Jesus, give me a bigger vision for what could be happening here so that I don't just keep going back to what I've always done. And so, and my, uh, my plug is that I feel like Northern as an institution, as well as in classrooms, is, is trying super hard to stay away from just doing the thing that's always been done because it's either been easy or it's been understood, but trying to do something else. So with that, we will wrap it up. Thanks, Take everybody. Away. Thank you.